So I have a philosophy about what business-oriented students might consider taking when they are in uh, law school. And uh, there's three sort of broad sort of areas that you should think about. Uh, there's corporate structure, you know, which is, you know, corporations and the like, um, securities. Um, there's transactional stuff, which is contracts, commercial law, that kind of thing, my area. And then uh, there's regulatory stuff, so tax, antitrust. And I think you should have a broad idea of what's going on in all three of those areas. Um, realistically, um, people kind of want to have an opportunity to have a general overview course because maybe they don't even know they want to do business law as a, law, as a whole. So I think it's kind of my responsibility to offer in the sort of transactional bucket a sort of big, you know, this will give you the sense of this branch of business law course without having to decide, okay, which of the two big branches of commercial law am I more interested in? From the foundational areas like constitutional and corporate law to the emerging areas involving robots, gaming, or cryptocurrency, join us for season two as these faculty members share how they are taking, taking care, care of, of business. business. Today's guest is Professor Lauren Schultz here at the FSU College of Law. She has an amazing background, comes from undergrad at Yale University, and has her JD from Harvard Law School. We welcome to the show, Lauren. Great to be here. We're so glad to have you. We were all just talking about summer, and people have a, a schedules all over the place, so I'm really grateful when you guys come in to share a little bit of your expertise and your information about what you teach and how you got here to, to the college, college of Law during the summer, so I appreciate your time today. So let's talk about, jump right in, um, you have your, your resume is just Harvard and Yale all over the place. It's mm -hmm. very impressive. How did you get to FSU? Oh, man. Um, I was so excited to come to FSU because um, my family actually originally comes from the Caribbean. Um, so uh, I was so pumped to uh, begin my teaching career in a climate where it's warm and humid. <laughs> um, so I mean, wonderful, wonderful institution here as well. Um, I've been so impressed by my colleagues and my students um, uh, here uh, since coming to FSU. So I, I think definitely happy I made the choice to come here every day. Oh, it's definitely warm and humid, that's for sure. Right? Mm -hmm. It is a July as we speak, and um, yeah, air conditioning is a must. So let's talk about your decision to go to law school. Was that something you always knew you wanted to do, or did that kind of grow on you as during your undergrad years? I de it definitely grew on me during my college years. Okay. I was not certain that I wanted to be a lawyer. I actually got interested in law because I took a class on con law my um, junior year of college, and I thought it was really interesting, which is really funny because I think con law is really uninteresting now. <laughs> really? Um, and for so those who don't know what con law is, con law is, can you? Well, I'll give a nice answer. Um, it's well, What does con mean? Uh, constitutional law. Constitutional law, thank you. The study of uh the, the interpretation of the Constitution. Um, uh, I work also, starting that year, I was working for a, a visiting law professor at a at, uh, junior person um, who, Leah Bishop, she teaches at 
Indiana now. Uh, she was an intellectual property uh, lawyer. Um, and I was her research assistant. And I was like, hey, wow, what she does is really cool. I want to do what she does. So I actually got to the conclusion that I wanted to go to law school because I liked Leah Bishop's job. Nice. I wanted to be a law professor. <laughs> but then I was like, I'm not going to pay to go to law school unless I would enjoy being a lawyer because, you know, law professor jobs don't grow on trees. So I spent the rest of law, I undergrad and I took a year after undergrad working as a paralegal just to see if I would enjoy pr the practice of law. And actually, as it turned out, um, I found I really enjoyed litigation, uh, sort of business litigation, actually, um, like like the stuff. I actually, when I did a summer uh, in law school, actually working at Paul Rowett Weiss doing a security fr securities fraud litigation firm. So I was like, I came to the conclusion that I would enjoy being a litigator, so that's why I went to law school. I ultimately went to law school. I wanted to be a law professor, but then I was like, I need to have another path that I would enjoy if I'm going to drop $200,000. <laughs> um, so in an alternate universe, I think I would be very happy working at a law firm uh, doing securities litigation or something like that. But it sounds like some kind of career involving law was in your head for a long time. What was your undergraduate degree in? It was in ethics, politics, and economics, okay. uh, which was, for me, a combination of the first and the last thing, mostly. Less interested in the political, more interested in philosophy and economics. So I took basically you know, the whole econ core, plus a whole bunch of political philosophy courses. Um, and I, even my work now, I kind of like to think about how broader uh, sort of moral and theoretical pr principles can be brought to bear on how we analyze things that are going on in the real world and the real market, right? Um, mm. You know, to make coherent and interesting arguments that actually are about things that matter to people. That's really interesting you say that today, as we said, as Roe v. Wade was overturned this week. So I wonder how that's going to change the landscape of some of those courses that maybe you took back then. I would imagine that's going to be a greatly talked about topic of conversation in political philosophy or ethics classes moving forward. Could be. Could be. Could be. <laughs> All kinds of things. <laughs> so what do you teach here at FSU? Um, so I teach contracts, okay. uh, commercial law, um, and uh, privacy and security. So uh, in my scholarly work is about um, transactional uh, uh, contract law, so contract law, but also sales and, and things like that. Um, but also from a point of view of thinking about sort of technology and the newly possible. Um, and in particular, I like to sort of think about privacy. Um, and the sort of contracting over privacy, especially in the consumer space, but not necessarily. Um, so that's that's sort of my course uh, group. Uh, really, really love teaching these courses. <laughs> Good. Well, let me turn it over to Jeff. Yeah, that that's, um, although an old course, it's sort of a new course too, right? You took, when you came in, commercial law didn't really exist in the sense of we had it broken down into two things. And then you merged it together, is that right? And kind of made it a larger course? Yeah. I just want to make sure I get that right before I ask my question. And and do you feel that, I mean, you are our sort of commercial law expert on the faculty, and so I, I'm sure we were happy to do what you wanted to do with the course. But why did you feel that was a better fit for you than splitting up what would normally be like a, what I guess, a sales course and a, and a uh, 
what's it, a UCC type course? Mm-hmm. So I decided to have a class where sales and secure transactions were present in the same course, simply because a lot of students don't necessarily know what part of commercial law they're the most interested in. And they want the opportunity to be exposed to the main principles of sales and secure transactions all in one big course. Um, obviously, there are some uh, details of both sales and secure transactions that, especially secure transactions, that I think are really valuable. And maybe in the future, I might want to offer one or the other, um, especially secure transactions for students who want to get to that advanced level. But I think there's a lot of value because um, people don't necessarily want to specialize in it. So I have a philosophy about what business-oriented students might consider taking when they are in uh, law school. And uh, there's three sort of broad sort of areas that you should think about. Uh, there's corporate structure, you know, which is, you know, corporations and the like, um, securities. Um, there's transactional stuff, which is contracts, commercial law, that kind of thing, my area. And then uh, there's regulatory stuff, so tax, antitrust. And I think you should have a broad idea of what's going on in all three of those areas. Um, realistically, um, people kind of want to have an opportunity to have a general overview course because maybe they don't even know they want to do business law as a, law, as a whole. So I think it's kind of my responsibility to offer in the sort of transactional bucket a sort of big, you know, this will give you the sense of this branch of business law course without having to decide, okay, which of the two big branches of commercial law am I more interested in or having to commit to take seven credits in order to know both. Uh, so I think it's really useful for students, and I think the two combine really well together. Speak. It also allows you to have the opportunity to know, okay, which way of thinking works better for me? Uh, what do I find more interesting? What do I? And also, it's just really good for the bar as well. So I think I did it in response to I think uh, student needs and interests. I think that's a great explanation, and I think that. Um uh, you know, our business law certificate tries to take that same kind of view, tries to give the students a sort of broad, I mean, we, we have required courses within a choice, right? And um, the goal is to, for them to see each of those buckets that you mentioned. So I think that's fantastic. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, you, 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 what would you say to a student as well? I'm going to focus on the student side for a moment. Um, what would you say to a student? I mean, you said, you know, on Earth 2, right, you're a, a corporate litigator or a business litigator. You know, we have this kind of stereotype as business lawyers, as the transactional lawyer, and if you want to be a litigator, you go you go on the other side. You're, you know, the, the students forget that that litigation is a, obviously a major part of of the business law curriculum. So, um, how do you? What advice do you give to students to, to who um, are interested? How did it click for you? How did you know you want to be a litigator rather than a transactional lawyer? Right. Rather than the person doing the deal, you wanted to be the person who was handling the problems after the deal. So people often actually, litigators have the reputation of being kind of confrontational. And some litigators actually are very confrontational <laughs> people. They sort of thrive on the sort of clash. Uh, but for me, um, I really like what I really attracted me to litigation is the writing aspect of it, because what you're doing a lot of the time is just a whole bunch of motion practice, a bunch of, and you really get to kind of dig into these legal issues and uh, you get to look at really interesting questions. Um, you're a bit 
removed from the advantage, the advantage of transactional uh, law is that you're more engaged with the business realities of whatever the deal is. And when you're in litigation, you're more, I mean, you need to know that too, but you really are kind of looking at it into the sty- in the stylized context of how do I need to frame what happened in order to pers- persuade the trier of fact to do what it is that our client wants them to do. Um, and I kind of appreciate that challenge. I like digging into the legal questions and, and, and how it's episodic. It's a different thing every time. Um, so I, I think if you're really into writing, uh, litigation is a really good path. And I think it's... Um, most, I'm not going to say most, a lot of litigation is business oriented, right? So I, I sort of came from it. I didn't necessarily know from the beginning that I was interested in business, but I knew I was interested in writing. So that's how I came to litigation. And then as I went to law school, I found that sub- in terms of substance, I was just more interested in business matters than I was in like criminal matters or um other things. Con law, as you mentioned, <laughs> which I, I'm on the same page with you. So let's turn to your writing. You're a prolific scholar, obviously. You've written a ton in this in this kind of privacy space and a little bit out, outside of it as well. Um, what are you working on now or what, what if, what's what, what's your last recent piece? Uh, or what's what again, what's your, what do you view as your space? What What is your kind of idea that you've taken? So I, I occupy two spaces. I'm part of sort of two uh, scholarly tribes. I'm both a sort of contracts, sort of in commercial law, sort of theorist, and I talk about. Um, so one paper I'm working on, which I'm really, really excited about, um, is a paper about um, how we should approach the parole evidence rule and contract interpretation in the context of newly possible technologies and business models. And the two use cases I'm thinking about are one that's a little bit more mature, which is software as a service, as opposed to software as being leased. So if you might remember from way back in the day, like when you used to open up Microsoft Word, you would have a license for Microsoft Word. So you didn't own your Microsoft Words, you licensed it. But now the model has evolved in the allocation of services, uh, software such that now you're not even leasing it. What, you, what you're doing is you're, you have a monthly plan and you pay for the service of Microsoft or whoever else for providing you the software. And actually, as it turns out, that's, a very, that's very different in terms of contractual structure and obligation, even though it looks quite similar to the consumer. Um, so that was a transition that happened over the past 20 years. And also, I'm looking at today, contracts in the Web3 space. And... What this paper that I'm thinking about now and working on is how do we, how do judges, how should judges interpret contract, contracts and what evidence should they be looking at at the point when the underlying either factual or legal nature of the transaction between the two parties actually evolves over time or has changed or maybe the two parties don't actually have an, un, an underlying, a shared understanding of what the transaction is. And sort of my conclusion is, well, is my suspicion is, I mean, this is paper in progress, is that in this particular area, they should be relatively more open to bringing in uh, parole evidence to understand what the two parties agreed to. Because, for example, with software as a service, more mature, um, two parties would actually sign an agreement 
it intended for a software as a service thing, so I pay you monthly to use this software. But the actual boilerplate text would describe a licensing agreement. Mm. So what should the court enforce? What the parties intended, what they said they were typing out in their emails, or the boilerplate text that somebody copied and pasted? And th these are real things. Mid-sized companies, um, embarrassingly large, actually do make these mistakes. So what should courts do? Um, and, um, and, and there's a surprisingly lot at stake here. So that's sort of something that I'm doing that's very firmly in the contracts uh, and commercial law space. And actually, you know how I love the UCC. You know I'm a big fan of Mr. Carl Llewellyn. And of course, one of the things that I point to is that software is governed by the UCC. And what I want to point to in this, these types of interactions is a more UCC approach to parole evidence and um, um, interpretation. And I'm also a privacy scholar, right? And these things overlap because a lot of what privacy is, it's what people agree that they are in, uh, in transactions. So I kind of look at contracting over privacy and the allocation of ri privacy rights and responsibilities in a fast-changing world. And actually, Congress has a bipartisan bill that's up right now um, and actually has a realistic chance of getting passed um, that's about um, just an overall privacy statute, right? And get this. My most recent paper that came out is called uh, Private Rights of Action and Privacy Law. And so many people in privacy, um, privacy scholarship thought that I was kind of crazy or tilting at windmills to say that, you know, a private right of action would be good in a variety of ways and this is how it could work and this is how it could be limited um, in, in, in a privacy legislation. They were like, it's not realistic. Congress will never go for it. Business will do whatever. Um, and as it turns out, in this working one, there actually is a private right of action. <laughs> so it's interesting. It's glad that it, I'm glad I wrote it because at least now there's a paper or something that people can refer to describing what it is and why it's a good thing as opposed to sidelining it. So uh, that's something that incidentally ended up being. Um, cause yeah, like actually sort of relevant because um, a lot of people were skeptical of its. Uh, plausibility. Um, but that's kind of, I don't, I'm not really, you know, that politically engaged per se. I'm kind of looking at what makes the most sense, what fits with the legal system we have now. And, you know, what's a fair way to allocate rights and responsibilities in that perspective? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm less interested in seeing, oh, what do these legislators think? And what do those legislators <laughs> think? And what do I think they're all going to agree to? I don't know what they're all going to agree to. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, do my research and write, you know, about the law in the way that I see fit. Fascinating. I, I think it's amazing your work. Obviously, you bridge technology and the business component into ways that it, it relates to everyone, everyone in the business field, and, and great questions that arise. So I think what you're doing is really fascinating. So let's let's one more question, um, and then we'll kind of move into our pop quiz series. So pop quiz, yeah, yes. super <laughs> hard. We didn't warn you about that. Really you hard. Be graded. The hard part. That's why it's a pop. It's so it's what's pop, right? Um, so if you couldn't practice law or teach teach law or be involved in the law in any way? Somebody said, that's it, you can't. What other career path would you choose? I think that... Um, I'm thinking not politics, for sure. Oh, God, no. <laughs> that's not for me. Um, I think that I could see myself mm, 
making documentaries or being a screenwriter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Very fascinating. Which, by the way, we watched Ben Crump's Civil the other night. Mm-hmm. I don't know sure if y'all have seen that. They showed, they showed it at SUG last week to the students, and he was here and actually got to answer questions. It was awesome. It was mm-hmm. really fascinating. So highly recommend it to both of you. But I love that idea. And FSU has a great film school. So you could just, you know, migrate on over there and just be a part of it. Love that. I really like watching, you know, movies, discussing movies and also mm-hmm. documentaries or and fiction that's based on real stuff. Like yeah. I just watched The Staircase that came out on HBO. Yeah. It was sort of disappointing, but the performances were great. <laughs> um, and yeah, and yeah, I'm just really fascinated about how through the visual medium of either a documentary or a movie or something like that, we can sort of learn about ourselves, learn mm-hmm. about the world. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool. Okay, well, then that leads right into our pop series question. I'll give you your first one. What movie could you watch over and over and over again? Hmm. That's a really good question. There are a lot of them that are really good. Um, hmm. Are you trying to choose one of the many? I'm tr- I mean, basically, it's not a matter of like wit. There are a couple movies so I you know. Can go I, with your favorite if you want. But I'm trying to look cool too. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's, this is going to be recorded that's forever. That's the main so, li- yeah. limiting factor. Listen, don't be cool because we've had some uh, very uncool answers on this show since we've been here. So well, that, that would seem, seem to be then be cool because you could be the number one answer. <laughs> you could be the number one answer. No pressure. Um. So there's some like real obvious. I mean, the thing that's coming to mind right now is the Fifth Element. So I'll just say that. Hmm. That's like a thriller, right? A sci-fi. Sci-fi? Okay. Okay. I don't know that one. I'm not Mm. a sci-fi fan. 2001 in the Space Odyssey is also really cool. Uh, But like kind of in terms of the combination, you know, but scene by scene, like, you know, you can watch The Fifth Element out of sequence also. And every scene is really entertaining just because it's just sort of very visually stunning. Okay. those are some good ones, and we haven't had those before. We love new answers on the show. So many new answers. Love it. Okay, uh, how do you take your coffee? Oh, with, with cream but no sugar. Cream but no sugar. Do you drink a lot of coffee? Are you a caffeine, got to have it in the morning kind of person? I just don't think... I. People drink more coffee than I do, but people drink less coffee than I do. I just don't think I drink an interesting <laughs> amount of coffee. It's um, <laughs> not a noteworthy that's amount. a very thoughtful answer. Um, <laughs> what's, what's one habit you wish you could break? I mean, I just can't stop, won't stop um, going on Reddit and message boards, like, oh. after I, like watch something i always want to know what other people think so i always go on there and see what other people i don't even participate i just like want to see what other people think and reddit is a hole it is a black mm-hmm. hole you can go down 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 yeah. down a thread and and 30 trails down they're not even talking about yeah. what the original subject yeah exactly anymore. and then all of a sudden you're clicking on something <laughs> else it's a huge waste of time <laughs> And I actually think I would do better just sort of thinking about things myself and or texting humans I know who've seen these same things. But it's much less demanding to go and see what, like, you know, Redditor22 has to think about the staircase than to text my friend who recommended it to me and being like, hey, Kristen, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I hear you. It's a great way to waste time. I agree. I kind of agree with that one. All right. Uh, Last question. What's your favorite thing to do for relaxation? 
I enjoy reading sci-fi books. Okay. I mean, it's all just coming back to sci-fi again and again. But, like, you know, I, I write about law and technology, so it's kind of like research. Um, so I've been reading this series, which I would highly recommend. They're like novellas. They're like this thick, thin. Mm-hmm. And you, they, it's available at, actually, Midtown Reader. Um, it's a series called The Murderbot Diaries. Um, it's about this uh, this machine that uh, has christened itself Murderbot, but don't worry, it doesn't actually murder people. I mean, it has, but it didn't mean to. Um, and, and it's just this sort of machine that's kind of achieved sentience, but is sort of hiding it, but trying to find its way. First-person narrative. Huh. Um, I kind of like sure a sort of a thought-provoking, yet fun sort of sci-fi fi things to read. Because, again, these are things that make you think about the world that we live in now. And it's not too pretentious, right? Because, you know, if you're talking about, if there's a character called Murderbot, how pretentious can you be? Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, like, so. I love it. Do you happen to know who the author is of the series? I don't remember what her name is. But I'll have to look it up. It's I'll really good. Look it up. Well, Lauren, we really appreciated having you on today. It was great to get to know a little bit more about you, and we really enjoyed it. Yes, thank awesome. you. Thank you. This podcast made possible by a generous donation from Jeff and Aggie Stoops. Special thanks to FSU College of Law's Professor Sean Bairn for creating our theme music.